The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and as in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He swept and fought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So I graduated college um, in 2011, and I remember um, that my parents actually got me and my friends um, a limo that night. Um, and we, got, we get in this limo, we, we're going downtown, driving all over the place, stopping at different dance clubs. Um, this is not my lifestyle, I promise. <laughs> it, was, it was different. <laughs> it was fun. Um, but then something tragic happened on that evening, which was, I cut loose, and I ended up getting drunk um, in the course of the night. And I went home, and I tried to pretend like nothing really happened, and I went to sleep, and woke up every day like everything was fine, and hey, I don't have to think about this. Well, then my friend came to me, and he said to me, Ross, this was wrong what you did. This was, this was a sin, and he confronted me, and I felt that he was right, and I knew that I had to confess to my sin and repent from it, and I did. Um, I acknowledged that it was wrong, and I fought against committing that sin anymore. Now, um, there were other people who were in the car with me, and they did the same thing I did. And I know for a fact not every one of us repented. So one thing that comes into my mind is, why did I change, and other people didn't? And I can tell you right now, the answer is not because I'm better than any of them. A tension that comes into my heart and mind in the Bible is that we have committed sins, every one of us, and our sins separate us from God, and so we have to turn from our sins to God to be healed of our sins. But the very sins that we commit dull our spiritual senses so that we're unable to turn to God. Do you see the catch-22 there? We have to return from our sins, but we can't because of our sins. And Hosea, uh, our text today from Hosea is going to help us answer this question. So um, as we have seen week after week, um, God is calling out his people for the sins that they have committed. And his hope, we find throughout the book again and again, is that his calling out their sins would draw them back to himself. That's what the purpose is. If you've been wondering why have we heard sermon after sermon about how bad I am in this way, in this way, in this way, well, it's because God wants us to come back to himself, and he cares about us being close to him. So let's read verse 2 from Hosea 12. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah, and will punish Jacob according to his ways, and repay him according to his deeds. So Judah could mean the southern kingdom of Israel, or it can just mean the whole kingdom of God's people. And here I think it's all God's people. 
And then the same verse refers to those people as Jacob. And Jacob can also mean all of God's people because he's their common ancestor and they actually get their name Israel from him. However, we find here that there might be a little play on words. That Hosea is saying, you Israelites are like Jacob from the Old Testament. And just to be clear, being like Jacob is not a good thing. If anyone remembers the life of Jacob, he had a life of trickery and deceit and deception. And so God is saying, you are like this guy. So Jacob was an offspring of Abraham, who's the first person God used to start his spiritual family. But he's not yet a spiritual offspring of Abraham. And what I mean by that is that he had a physical descendancy from Abraham, but he didn't have a love and trust in God yet. He was just a man who looked like a follower of God, but wasn't one. I wonder if that describes any of us here. Just putting on a show. So now it goes further into his life story. And verse 3 is actually pretty dismal. It says, In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel, and as a man, he struggled with God. So it has these two events that are two major milestones in Jacob's life. And they both show what kind of man he is. The first one is at his birth. This is pretty crazy. Let's read Genesis 25, 24 through 26. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Ooh. So they called his name Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named Jacob. They named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old, and Rebekah gave birth to him. So this is like the wildest birth I've ever heard of. One twin comes out holding on to the other twin like he's trying to get ahead of him and be the first one out. And they call him Jacob, which means, it literally means he who grasps the heel. That's what his name means, which is like a way back then of saying this guy cheats to get ahead of other people. Do not recommend naming your kids that. And, of course, the little baby didn't know he was, what he was doing, but the author included it for a reason. And the reason is that his striving, his struggling to get ahead of other people, became a picture of what his life is like. And we're going to get into his life in a moment. But that, um, that he is someone who refused to submit to God. So what he does when he grows up is he actually even tries to steal his older brother's birthright. So what, what it looked like he was trying to do when he was born, he actually does. He tricks his brother, he tricks his dad, and he ends up getting the birthright, which means he gets a portion of his inheritance. And then Esau predictably gets pretty mad about that, and he tries to kill him, so he runs away. He flees. And then when he's fleeing, he goes and lives with his father-in-law because he eventually marries some, some multiple ladies, unfortunately. He marries, lives with her father-in-law. And then, in order to get richer, he starts to use pagan magic rituals to help his cattle have more offspring that belong to him. 
So this is not someone who is trusting God. And I wonder if any of us are like this. Do any of you find it so hard to trust God that you try to do it your own way? That you can't wait for him to do what he's promised to do for you in his time? I know I can get impatient. And so much of faith in the Bible is waiting on God. You say, we say the things like, God, God, if you don't do this for me now, I don't trust you. But he can do whatever he wants to. He can do it in his own timing. And he will give you the grace to wait for him. Now, Jacob actually, thankfully, doesn't stay this way. Jacob has a change of heart in his life. Jacob changes from who he was into who he is. And it happens on the biggest night of his life. When he's going back to face his brother Esau, he's worried that he's going to die. And an angel of the Lord actually shows up. And what does Jacob start doing? He starts fighting the angel. The struggle that he's had throughout his life now kind of comes to a manifestation, it comes to a head with him physically fighting and contending against God. All through the night. And what happens is eventually the angel reaches down and he touches Jacob's hip, boom, out of socket. He has to walk with a limp the rest of his life. And that was probably the biggest blessing that ever happened to him. Because when he finally had this happen, he started to see how weak he really was. What happens when we're struggling to do things in our own way, in our own timing, is that we think it's up to us and we have the strength and power to make it come about. And Jacob recognizes, I can't do this on my own. God uses that experience of his leg getting messed up to change his heart and help him have a new heart that trusts God. The text is going to say that he wept and he sought God's favor. The kind of man Jacob was changed after he finally recognized his need for God. Is anyone here struggling to see your need for God today? Do you feel strong? Do you feel handsome? Do you feel rich? I'm just going to say you need him. Don't believe the little lies in your head that you're okay without him. Don't be like Jacob. Let us all recognize the deep need that we have for him. Let's read verses 4 and 5. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He whipped, wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord Almighty, the Lord is his name. Jacob struggles with the angel. In spite of his sin, he receives a blessing from the angel. And then it talks about another event in Jacob's life from the time he stayed at a place called Bethel. And what happens when he's staying at Bethel is the heavens open up and the Lord himself shows up and is talking with Jacob. This is when Jacob is becoming acquainted with God. And then it talks about the Lord's name, which means in the Old Testament, if you know the Lord's name, that you're well acquainted with his character. So the message is 
that as Jacob came into a relationship with God, as he turned from his self-dependence into God-dependence, he got a more intimate relationship with God. That is precisely what turning from your sin is about, is having a more close relationship with God. Okay, so Hosea then applies this to the people of his day. He says in verse 6, But you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Now, um, the idea of returning is this idea of turning from sin. The idea of turning is this idea of turning from sin. And that's a word that we use called repent. If you heard me use that word already, what I mean is you turn from your sin to God. And repentance has two parts to it. There's a sorrow for sin, like a concern that you've offended God, and a desire to be closer to him. You see, repentance is turning away from the things that are taking us from God. So isn't it good, isn't it an important thing to turn from repentance, which takes us from God? And he says, how do you want me to repent? God says to Jacob, do justice and mercy. And those are two catch-all words for, I want you to love God and I want you to love other people. Have any of you struggled to love God and love other people? God's calling you to deeper intimacy with him right now. He's calling you to turn away from the things that are keeping you from loving him and loving other people. And he says, wait for your God. Is anyone here striving against God, not waiting for him, thinking you know better than him? He's calling you to repent of that. You see, God didn't want to leave his people in their sins, and he didn't want to leave us in our sins today. His purpose in calling his people's attention to the story of Jacob was to call them out of their sin, and his purpose in giving us his text today is to call us out of ours. Now, I made a little mistake. I had the wrong translation up there. Does anyone here have an ESV Bible? I think a lot of us do. It says, return by the help of God. Now, the reason why some translations have it and some don't is because the Hebrew is not clear. It just says, return by God. Oh, that's good. Well done. It says, return by God. And no one knows exactly, well, no one, people disagree on what that means. But as I looked at the Hebrew, and as I looked at the story of Jacob, I became convinced that it's saying, return with the help of God. Remember earlier how I brought up that tension of how can we return to God if our very sins keep us from coming to God? We have to remember how rough of a place we're in as sinners. Did you know that you cannot return to God on your own? 
Did you know that? It's nice to think we could. It's nice to think we're able to do that. But that's not true. We're more fallen than that. We're more fallen than we think we are. So far, in fact, that we can't even on our own get back to God. Chapter 5, verse 4 says from Hosea, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart, and they do not acknowledge the Lord. This leaves us in a place that's heavy. Needing to get back to God, commanded to return to Him, but somehow unable to. Now, thankfully, thankfully, God helped Jacob. And God's going to help us too. Anyone who wants to return to God, God will help you. Because the reason you want to turn to God is because He's working in your heart to give you that desire. Now, how does He help us repent? How does he do it? It says in the story that God wounded Jacob and he helped him repent. And physical wounds and hardship that we receive can help us turn back to God. It can, and I think God intends it to. And I just want to invite anyone here today who's struggling to trust God in the midst of a hardship, a pain, or a loneliness, that the reason that that's in your life is to bring you to him. But, but the way that God helps us repent isn't first and foremost giving us a physical hurt or a physical pain. It's giving us a heart-level cut, a heart-level wound. Once we receive that, then God is helping us return to him. What is that heart-level wound? The Bible calls it conviction of sin. Conviction of sin. For so long in our lives, we go around suppressing the truth that we are sinners. We go around acting like we're not that bad. And that God's really okay with us and we're okay with God. And what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us is that we recognize our deep and desperate need for God. And how our sin has isolated us and separated us from him. What I'm talking about is an amazing gift from God. In the book of Acts, when the apostle Pre Peter preaches, after he's done calling out the people for their sin, it says they were cut to the heart and said, brothers, what shall we do to be saved? That's a heart level cut. In our Bible reading from a few days ago, when David had ordered the census and God had come to strike Israel and David heard from the prophet who's saying, you did wrong. The scripture says David's heart struck him. Have you ever felt your need for a savior from your sin? Do you need to feel it afresh? 
I think some people do today. I know I do. And I trust God is going to do that work right now of helping us to feel our need for him, feel how far away we are from him without his help, and feel a repentance and striking from the heart that comes to him from him. You see, this is one of God's best gifts of all. It doesn't feel like a gift when it happens. It doesn't feel like a gift. But this is one of God's best gifts. Because when we repent, we get more of God. And actually, without repentance, we can't have any of God. So that means that this is one of the most beautiful, wonderful things in the world. And though it tastes bitter when it happens, oh, we should be thankful for it. Oh, we should be thankful when we feel the weight of our sin. Oh, we should be happy that God would be so kind to us. Just think of it. God who's running the universe takes the time to come and find you and remind you of how bad you need him so that you would actually come to him. And you wouldn't unless he did that. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? It's a bittersweet reality. Repentance is bittersweet. But the emphasis is on sweet. Because the end of repentance is more of Jesus. Which means I'm willing to go through any bit of conviction if I can have more of Jesus. Bring it on. Bring it on. Let us welcome God's work of wounding our hearts. Let us welcome his work of helping us feel how lost we are apart from him. This is a good wound. This is a good cut. Let's read chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind our wounds. Church, I have an invitation for you today. Would you please repent with me? Would you please repent with me of the sins that God are bringing to mind? Sins you know that you have to part from. Sins you know God has been reminding you for a while now. This can't be a part of your life. And we suppress that voice. Today, please repent of that sin. Jacob needed to repent of his stubbornness. Israel needed to repent of her idolatry. And we need to repent today of whatever is keeping us from more intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And yes, there's a first time repentance when you become a Christian. But God's calling us to more than that. He's calling us to daily repentance. There's only two lifestyles you can live. A lifestyle of giving in to sin or a lifestyle of repenting. Since our hearts are fallen and always with us, this is a daily call that we have. There's a Bible teacher named Martin Luther from 500 years ago. And this is what he said when he began his most important work. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, he willed the entire life of the believer be one of repentance. 
Now, with that in mind, how do we repent? How do we repent? I said we can't do it on our own. The first thing we have to do is to pray and be eager for God to send this Holy Spirit to us. Don't quench the Spirit, church. When he's working, when you feel your need for him, don't try to shove that down. Be open to it. Be dependent on him. Don't dislike the fact that we depend on him. We need his help. And every day we're bent towards not wanting it. So please don't quench the Spirit. Please pray for repentance. And when you feel the Spirit calling you to do it, don't wait. That's my second way to repent, is do it. Do it. Now. You were walking one way. Start to walk another way. And I know I make deals with myself. Just wait a while. You can do this later. But my sin gets my heart harder and harder the longer I wait. So the longer I wait, the less likely I'm going to repent. This is urgent. This is a call from God right now to repent. And what if you're not yet a follower of Jesus? What if you're worried that you can't repent because God only gives repentance? My answer would be, that if you feel your need for Jesus, if you feel concerned about your sin, where you're at right now, that that's God working on your heart. That's a sign of his activity. That you feel your need to come to him. You see, I want to make something clear. Repentance doesn't save us. Faith in Jesus saves us. Repentance doesn't save us. Faith in Jesus saves us. Faith is when we trust in Jesus to be what we could never be. There's an exchange, right? Jesus' righteousness for our unrighteousness. And then you're beautifully accepted by him. Not because of anything you did, but everything because of what he did. Us stopping this, our sin isn't what gets God to love and accept us. That's not how it works. But our repentance is necessary for us to believe in Jesus. They go together. To turn from your sin is to turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. To turn to Christ as Lord and Savior is to turn from your sin. You can't have one without the other. Jesus says you can only serve one master. If he's going to be your master, if he's going to be your Savior then you have to turn from the lords and masters you were following besides him. That's why faith and repentance go together. So I'd like to add something on. Is I'm not calling you just to turn from sin, to turn to yourself, or to turn to nothing. I'm calling you to turn from your sin to turn to Jesus. To turn to wanting more of him, to trusting more of him, to believing more of him. Church, my main burden and call for us today is that we must repent with the help of God. We must turn to God with the help of God. And he's ready to help you right now. If you feel like there's a sin that you just cannot break or get free from, he can help you. 
He can help you. There is no sin that you cannot repent of. Every person here can repent of every sin. So please, if you, this describes you. If you're, if you're stuck and you don't believe you can get away from this sin, if you want to know more about Jesus and follow him, and be baptized, talk to me, talk to any of our members. We serve a God who delights to help us. God delights to come and assist us. That's the good news of the gospel, is that God didn't leave us to solve this problem on our own. He sent his son Jesus to come and solve it for us. If our church adopted a lifestyle of repentance, and what I mean by that is it's just normal for us to pray, asking God to help change our hearts. It's normal for us to talk about our sin. It's normal for us to not avoid hard things like that. We would be the happiest church. We would be the happiest church you've ever gone to. And it might sound weird. Well, Ross, how could the church be happy if we're just talking about all our failures? That doesn't sound like a very happy place. Well, because we, when we repent and turn from our failures, that's when we get more intimacy with Jesus. And that intimacy is a joy that goes deeper than the repentance. It goes deeper than any sorrow we had. So yes, it will be a deep joy. Yes, it will be a weighty joy. But it's a joy that's going to endure through hard stuff. And boy, we are going through some hard stuff right now. We need a joy like this. Jesus experienced the cross to give this gift to us. Let's not minimize this gift at all. Jesus experienced the cross to give this gift to us. When we think of the cross, we so often think of Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sins, which is true, and I love that. But actually, he also died so that we could even turn to him and receive that forgiveness in the first place. That's the glory of what he did for us. He's a better savior than we ever thought he was. He's a better master than we ever thought he was. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you do not leave us unforgiven or unable to ask for forgiveness. Lord, I ask that if anyone is struggling to turn to you right now, if anyone's struggling to repent or to believe in you, that you would please help them. And if anyone's hopeless and thinking, I cannot defeat this sin, I cannot repent of this sin, would you please break them free from it right now? And now, Father, as we take the Lord's Supper and worship, help us to experience the bittersweet joy you have for us, but help the sweet to be a hundred times more than the bitter. In Jesus' name, amen.